things that are hard and that are difficult are always worth doing. And I think the reason why I love sport and athletics is because it's uncomfortable. It doesn't always feel good, but you're so damn proud of yourself after you do it. And you have the sense of accomplishment and you feel like a stronger version of yourself for like facing that adversity. That's why I'm like so grateful that, um, you know, this whole process, like I was able to actually learn something through all of it instead of just like biding my time and like, you know, being angry that, um, I fell off a cliff. From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I'm your host, Trevor. And this is Sheldon. And on this episode, we talk to professional ultra runner, that's right, runner, endurance athlete, and author, Hillary Allen. But let's not completely avoid the fact that she also has started to dabble in the graveling gravel cycling scene. Yeah. I mean, of all the, you know, she, she races at the highest level in the world in the United States, but, uh, she owns a gravel rig. That's the most important thing, right? And she's done Kansas and she's done dirty Kansas for sure. (laughs) Before we get into that conversation, Sheldon, I thought it might be helpful for us and for everyone to kind of quickly revisit the the calendar this year's ever changing the ever changing calendar yeah this uh this year's racing calendar i know in michigan there's been some updates and uh if you're like sheldon or i we we planned on a busy spring of racing and now it looks like we're gonna have a full and even busier (laughs) fall of of racing how do you feel about back-to-back races in october uh Back to back to back, it seems like. October is going to be just a beast of a month. I don't know if it's this way all over the country, but at least here in Michigan, it seems like everything's kind of being pushed, uh, and October seems like to be the big month. Uh, Just Notably, um, one of the big races coming up that uh, involves both Sheldon and I, the Michigan Coast to Coast, which was uh, scheduled for June 27th. We just got news that it um, was postponed to October 3rd um which is still pending permits which you know any of these dates are still pending of course yeah. but uh everything's fluid everything's uh this is a very dynamic season yeah. nothing none of these are static uh dates and then another big uh that so that's a double century that's 200 miles ish and Sheldon you were going to do you're going to do Sancho Yes, Sancho, uh, Sancho, Sancho which, got moved uh, all, uh, from June. Sancho is now moved to October seventeenth. Okay, uh, so this is this is kind of my point. Um, now on the, on the Michigan calendar, we have October third, which would be coast to coast, which you signed up for. Yep. October tenth, Barry Roubaix one hundred, which you signed up for. Yep. <laughs> October seventeenth, Sancho two hundred, which you signed up for. You know, remember how I said I wanted to go into Sancho with, with fresh legs this year? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So yeah. that's so that's three weeks, <laughs> a two hundred, a one hundred, and a two hundred. And I feel like this is the. I, I'm going to say this is kind of going to be the issue with races all around the country, probably the world, is this condensing of r- the race calendar. And I think we're going to have to make some choices, uh, or just or just send it, just go in and do it. But um, it's hard for me, coast to coast, this is going to be my first year doing it, hard for me, it's, it's hard to see myself not racing it. I, I'm really excited about it. I really wanted to experience it for the first time. Um, it's going to be a bring your lights because uh, we're going to be operating with like an hour less daytime. Changes changes um, a lot of changes a lot of things for sure. And then there is no way that I'm going to miss Barry Roubaix. Um, so yeah, really interesting decisions. Or it, it's just going to make it's going to make this year's racing very interesting, which it already has been very interesting because nothing really has been. Well, I don't know if it's been interesting. It just hasn't been happening. Um, Well, it's not just our schedule. You and I were talking earlier today about the pro schedule. Talk about being condensed. Um, Yeah. I think this is seen um, in a, in a bigger level in the world tour schedule. Um, They have canceled all the spring classics, um, the Giro d'Italia and the, um, Flanders. Uh, yeah, t- and Tour de France. All these have been moved into the fall. It looks like right now they just released something that it's that things are going to start hopefully in August. But yeah, even for these World Tour pros, it's so condensed, and um, and and even there's some overlap between some of the Grand Tours, which has never happened before. So that's that's kind of an interesting aspect. So. Um, could you imagine uh, some of these spring classics without that spring wind? I mean, I th- they- <laughs> I, yeah, I, th- I I don't know. I think there's been some conversation about that, uh, whether or not the weather is going to be more favorable in the fall than the than the spring. Um, it, I think a lot, a lot of it's just like I don't know. Let's let's uh, there. It's it's kind of uncharted territory, but yeah. I, I think they're. They and like all of us, like from grassroots level all the way to the pro level, are just trying to hang on to any sense of racing. Um, before we get too much further, there are a couple other dates and 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 details that I wanted to make sure and talk about. And cancellations uh, and cancellations. Yeah, um, here in Michigan, one of the most popular ultra endurance mountain bike races, the Lumberjack 100, um, sells out almost instantly every year they they just up and canceled it um that's that was slated for june 20th um so we won't see that race until um 2021 were you planning on doing that one um no i i wasn't mostly because it was the week before coast to coast oh that's right 27th and that didn't sound my first uh mountain bike hundred miler didn't sound like a good idea before, before the 200, but your first, uh, your first gravel 200. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I can tell you how that goes. It, it, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so that, yeah, that was un- unfortunately canceled. Um, other, other races in, um, kind of outside of Michigan, I saw um, Unpaved, which I did last year, which is a fall race, which is scheduled for October, which I'm wondering with all of these other races being moved into the fall, how this is affecting a race that was already scheduled for the for the fall. So Unpaved, Pennsylvania, um, it was uh, 
scheduled mid mid October, they haven't even uh, started registration yet. They're pushing back their registration to when they feel like all of this is kind of. Um, well, I mean, come come fall, we might even be seeing these dates that we're talking about now even potentially being canceled. Uh, things are just changing on the fly, and we we truly do not know when the first time we, we yep. we're going to race. Yeah, I mean, it it gets me a little um, not concerned, but one of the big races I'm hoping to do this year is the Belgian waffle ride. We talked about that yep. uh, previously, and I was hoping to do their first iteration of the Belgian waffle ride in Asheville. Um, really excited about that. It's the end of August, um, last, last weekend of August. And, um, so far I'm still planning on it. Um, but I'm not, I'm not get, letting my hopes get too high on, on that one. So that's, that's the same weekend as Lake city, uh, Alpine, uh, 50, uh, and as of right now, they still have theirs posted as happening, but they're even in their post, you can kind of read into it of, uh, we're watching and I'm kind of looking at, it and, you know, if things are still as active as they are right now, there's, there's no way I'm leaving the state, um, and potentially, you know, crossing the country for, yeah, for- I mean, that would, that would require a, a flight for you for sure. Yeah. Um, and at least with the Asheville, Belgian waffle ride, it would be myself driving, which I'm not too concerned about. But, you know, with all of this, and uh, uh, I'm, all of this is not news to anyone listening. This has kind of been the state of things, uh, of course. Um, but there were a couple key dates there that we wanted to make sure and talk about. But I wanted to kind of try to, amongst all of these things, um, try to figure out where the positives are within these um you know sheldon we've talked about these creative ways that people have been competing or maybe creating uh uh, social events social with air quotes um and uh using using strava or different segment challenges that kind of thing i know like um ted king has been doing this diy gravel where you go out and um, maybe on the week that uh, your race was supposed to have happened, go out and do the same distance, same elevation gain, something like this. Just ways to keep things fun. So we've talked about that. Um, yeah, a, a friend of the podcast, Tristan Smith, uh, just uh, yesterday went out and did a gravel century in uh, in honor of the Hellcat 100 here in Michigan. Yeah, uh, the Hellcat Hundy. Yep, and uh, he he uh, hashtagged uh, the DIY gravel in honor of that. Yeah, and um, first off, who who does a century on a Wednesday? Tristan, <laughs> only Tristan. <laughs> you got to get it in when you can, I guess. <laughs> but um, first, I, I have a question, and it might be a difficult question to talk about. But um, as these, as everything is changing, as races are leaving, I have to start and ask myself, at least for me as an amateur cyclist, is racing even that necessary? I'm going out, I'm riding, I'm enjoying uh, my, uh, I'm enjoying these long bike rides, uh, getting out into nature, falling in love with my bike again because it's not attached to a a race down the line, and I'm wondering. Mm-hmm do I need racing in my life to keep me motivated? And I, that's, I wanted to, I wanted to give, I wanted to ask you, Sheldon, 
are you finding, do you, without these races, are you lacking motivation? Do you need that? Or are you, what do you think of that? Me personally, yes. Um, my writing has fallen back, but it, it, it's also had to do with my schedule. Um, I think what I miss most is the post-race beers. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that's the, the number one thing I'm missing, but I have noticed a uh, significant drop in my mileage just without having to get out and train. Um, kind of have that push to, to get out. But uh, like you said, falling in love with the bike again is, is definitely, uh, definitely present. Yeah. And it is that sense of urgency. Like, Oh, I have a, I have a hundred mile race coming up in two weeks. I better make sure that I'm fit that we are losing right now. Yeah. And, and with all that said, uh, I guess to be completely honest, I am, kind of racing on on Zwift and I feel like it is filling a little bit of that competitive um you took a first place well and then I lost a first place I was DQ you were too strong (laughs) (laughs) wait a sandbag (laughs) hey I'm I'm just learning this whole this whole Zwift thing but uh um, speaking of Zwift don't forget if you call in and you're one of the top five callers you will win a free wheel block from our partners at KOM Cycling. Yeah, um, we talked about this last week, and we um, have been posting about it. But KOM Cycling has a uh, a great trainer. They call it a trainer block for your front wheel um, for when you're riding the trainer. It's uh, it has different angles. Sturdy. It has different heights um, for your front wheel, and um, so we're no flip bottom for if you're on a hardwood floor like me. Really great product, but um, we have a few of those. Thank, thank you to KOM to give away. But in all of this, in all of these things, we want to hear about how um, you are kind of getting through this time of no racing, this time of uh, no events, this time of no group rides, and uh, we. Well, I'm going to kind of call out our friend Tristan again. I mean, he went out and did this gravel century with a purpose he didn't call in I, I, i'm i'm mildly insulted i i, I <laughs> i'm gonna put him out here right now Kristen, <laughs> what the hell man call in i i know from strava that people are having some solo adventures and uh and and we need to hear those stories to keep us all motivated so we hope to hear from you um 616-522 i forget the rest Two six four one. Two six four one. Six one six five two 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 six four one. Leave us a voicemail and uh, get yourself in the running for a free KOM trainer block. Coming up, uh, watch our social media. We uh, were just contacted by uh, a Terra Trike Trike Company um, that uh, has been following the podcast. And they messaged us on social media that there's going to be a raffle for a free trike. So either for you or for a loved one that maybe can't uh, balance on two wheels anymore, like an older parent or grandparent, um, we will be posting this as we get details to both Facebook and Instagram. I don't know if you're all familiar with these these Terra trikes, but uh, they do provide um, an option 
for people that may not be able to ride a traditional two-wheeled bike. And I know that our friend Nicole Cottom, when she uh, she broke her wrist, she used one of these trikes to ride the Salsa Sub 48 uh, backpacking ad- bike bike packing kind of adventure. So there's a lot of opportunities that you can use these trikes, and they're pretty badass. I mean, they Dude, are. Those things, they fly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they have a virtual um, ride, Strava ride, and uh, event that they had to move virtually um, from a from a real life ride um, because of all this. And they asked us to talk about it a little bit. So check, yeah, check our um, Facebook about some of those details, and we'll mention it again next week. So in this episode, uh, our friend from Bolt Cutter Cycles, uh, Ryan, put us in contact with a professional North Face athlete, ultra runner, and newbie gravel cyclist, Hillary Allen. I first heard of Hillary and her story from another podcast. Strava released this uh, released a podcast a few years ago, and uh, she was the inaugural episode where it told her story about um, injury and uh and and kind of getting through that so it was very exciting for uh the both of us to have the chance to talk with her personally um and uh sheldon did you have any um hesitations because she's a runner i mean does that uh yeah i uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure my knees were aching just hearing hearing <laughs> any of her story the more <laughs> she talked the more my knees hurt but uh holy crap what a badass yeah. i mean <laughs> i mean and I don't want to give it away. She she does uh, uh, dabble in the gravel world a little bit, not just dabble. I mean, she raced DK and all this, and, and you'll hear about that. But uh, even yeah, if- I share, share a frame, she also rides a uh, bolt cutter. Uh, or, well, it's being built up right now in Boulder, but she's uh, uh, part of the bolt cutter collective. Yeah, uh, I don't know how I feel being on the same page as her. I mean, I, I, it's a little daunting. You, sh- to be clear, you should not be on the same page no no you I are not on the same not. level <laughs> i just do stupid stuff on bikes and she's a she's a true athlete where i just uh do dumb things and drink beer even if it wasn't for uh the gravel cycling that she does man was this a great conversation and is she such an amazing uh athlete and person to talk to about not only sport and athletics but uh just perseverance and and getting through traumatic events and injury. And uh, yeah, I, there's little that I can say. So I think we should let Hillary say it all. She takes us uh, in our first true international episode. She uh, yeah. she talked to us from France where she is quarantined in the mountains. And uh, we're in mid-Michigan. <laughs> right. Yeah. Our first internet. Yeah, that's, that's right. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, let's hear from Hillary Allen ultra runner, ultra endurance athlete, author, author. Uh, science nerd. <laughs> teacher. She's a teacher too. And newbie gravel cyclist. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I could show you the mountains. It's probably a better view. Although maybe you can see them in the reflection of the... <laughs> A little bit. Let's just see them real quick. Is it easy to do with a laptop? Yeah. I'll just do for me. This is just for me personally. Just so I can. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There. Holy cow. 
actually, I can show you a better view. So it just snowed, um, let's see, uh, last night. So up there. <laughs> well, we're still kind of waiting on Sheldon, our my co-host. Okay. So what time is it there for you? Uh, it's 3 p.m. 3 p.m., yeah. So it's 9 here. It's not super early, yeah. but, you know, with the quarantine and everything, you know, I, I don't think there's really any real reason to wake up early, so. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, it's like, it's the same thing here. It's like, I'm, uh, I used to, like, I mean, when I was, uh, in, well, in Annecy, I, I live, I live in Annecy. I actually just moved there, but then now I'm in the south of France because uh, this seems a lot better than living in the city, so, um, yeah, like I, I would get up at like be running at 6 a.m. And here I'm just like, no, I'm going to start running at nine. <laughs> <laughs> Are you technically living in France now? I thought um, I read that you were from Boulder or you lived in yeah. Boulder. Um, yeah. Is that so, so is France home base now? Um, well, I mean, it's become more of a home base now because I literally can't go home. Well, I mean, I can, but it's more complicated. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I used to live in Boulder. I'm from Fort Collins. Um, but, yeah, I basically just switched it up. There's some, like, usually all my races are, like, some of my big major running races are here in France. And so I switched bases to, to come live and train here. Because, like, over the past five years, I've lived probably three or four months out of the year in France. Okay. So um, I actually have a long stay visa for four years. So I can live here for at least that long. <laughs> it's very, very similar to like a, uh, a pro cyclist schedule sounds like. Yeah, exactly. So and in fact, I have this thing, it's called the, um, uh, the uh, Passport Talent. And I'm pretty sure that they have that just because the Tour de France is here and so many professional cyclists come and like live here. So it's, it's okay. one specific for um professional athletes are like um they see like people of national uh recognition which i don't know if like trail runners really up, um qualify for that but i did so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's it, i think the people who are training in the united states they can do the same thing it's like one of the loopholes of the of the long stay alternatives that you can find the only, uh, I'm, I apologize for my ignorance, but the only big uh, trail running race in in France that I can think of, is, is it UTMB? Is that? Yeah, you're like, that's not ignorant. That's awesome, actually. Um, so that's the big race. It's in Chamonix, France. Goes through three countries. Okay. Um, you basically do a circumnavigation of the Mont Blanc Massif. And um, yeah, so actually I did a race there last year, uh, was 150 kilometers on foot and you actually climb like um three no 10,000 meters is what I climbed like oh. just shy of it okay <laughs> so, uh those are the types of races I like to do on foot uh but yeah that was actually the big race that I had planned this year um yeah. but it might not happen so is it like a whole weekend kind of thing or yeah, so it is. It's the whole week. So basically, they, um, they have races that are starting as early as Monday, in fact. And then they have um, that big race that I just told you about. It was actually on a Wednesday. So it was like so random. Like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then the big race, the UTMB is a Friday night. It starts at 6 p.m. And then you go for um, like, it's like two-day cutoff. <laughs> oh, so. moly. Yeah, it's insane. But yeah, so I mean, and then obviously, I mean, I got into gravel bikes because they're amazing. So I've been like, holy crap, some of the like, I have a um, place where I'm at, I'm literally on just a hill. And so it's like, 
nine, it's like 15% grade to go down, 15% grade to go up. So it's just like, it's insane. There's no recovery rides. Like yesterday, I went on a, uh, or wait, the day before, a ride that was literally 19 and a half miles and I gained 3,300 feet. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> And it was like on this like gravel road. It was gnarly. Yeah. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Around here, yeah. Ni 19 miles is like, uh, I don't know. You wouldn't even think about it as a ride, but gaining all that. Uh, I know. That. That's what I thought. I was like, man, like, is this even worth it? Like, I'm not even, it's not even that many miles, but just yeah. like, it was so steep. <laughs> so it was pretty, it was pretty cool though, actually. <laughs> so I think to establish this pretty right away. Um, well, first off we got, uh, in contact through Ryan from Bolt Cutter. Yeah. And um, do you ride a bolt cutter or are you looking to ride a bolt cutter? Is that your rig right now or what's? The rig I have right now here in France is a specialized, um, but the, like I was supposed to be back in the United States to race like Raspy Pizza and oh, yeah. then Dirty Pizza. Yeah. And um, so I literally bought, I got a bolt cutter bike and I built it out but I haven't ridden it yet because it's in Colorado. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So just like Ryan made all of like the, like the, I mean, it was like right at the beginning of the COVID and like, he got like, he got the frame, like he got everything. And that like, it was going to be ready for me to ride like, you know, three weeks, a month before Raspatita to get like used to it. Then everything happened with COVID and it's in, it's in, you know, Colorado and I haven't ridden it yet. So, <laughs> well, that, that seems very much like the way things are going right now to have yeah. a, a beautifully built up bike and not even be able to access it. <laughs> I know. I know. And he sent me, he sent me a picture of the frame and then, um, Gav, uh, what's his last name? Gavin, um, Mike Gavigan. He's a, he like, he's a like pretty famous, um, like a popular, I guess, in the region of Boulder. Like he always, he's like the mechanic for all the pros. Uh -huh. He built it out for me. So he was sending me pictures and updates. I'm like, God damn it. I can't. <laughs> I just want to ride this thing. <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll be back maybe June. So I'll, okay. I'll get to ride. The cool thing is, is like I can travel to the U.S. without a bike. And then I can ride my bike. And then I'll have to like, you know, come back with it here. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Sheldon, who is, is having trouble connecting in. So Anyways, but he he uh, he has a um, a peacemaker frame that uh, nice. uh, yeah. and uh, he's he's getting ready to build that up and it, it's gonna be it's gonna be sweet. Um, yeah. You mentioned Dirty Kanza. I was looking yeah. through scrolling through Instagram because uh, apparently that's just what you do now. That's all. I mean, you have so much <laughs> time. I just go through Instagram. But we just. Um, we talked to our friend uh, Jill Martindale, who did the Iditarod 1000, the Iditarod Trail Invitational 1000, and so cool. and I was looking through her feed and I saw that she was on this speaker panel for Dirty Kanza, and you were on it as well. Was that last yeah. year? Yeah, last year. Did, did you race last year? Uh, actually, yeah. So that was my. Get ready for it. That was my very first bike race ever. <laughs> that's that's a good uh, introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and the two hundred mile event. So not like the not the little DK, but the but, but the yeah. full thing. Um, yeah. So that that was that was my um, 
that was my first my first experience with gravel bike riding and and actually um i had only <laughs> i had only been physically riding my gravel bike for two months um outside before i did dk oh. so i and, and and like i was doing it on like the dirt roads in colorado which are basically like pavement so i was a real surprise <laughs> <laughs> How did um well first of all real surprise in terms of probably the technical aspect uh yeah. did you fare well in that side of things or was yes, it you, good good I good Oh I didn't fall and I had this like I had this thing where I literally was like and and then actually like 2 weeks after the event I did um the Oregon Trail gravel grinder and that was a whole nother experience it was like you know, I had to learn how to ride through sand, but like the two, those two races, like feel my hands get tight. And I was like, okay, hell, like, like stay loose, but like not too loose. Like <laughs> I was just like trying the whole thing. Like, yeah. Um, but no, I did. I was really proud of myself. I didn't fall. Um, but I was, it was, I was pretty surprised how technical the roads can be out there. So no, um, no, like, uh, mechanicals, you, you didn't flat or anything like that. Oh, I did have one flat. Um, okay. And from that, actually, I, yeah. And I had to, I was so proud of myself. And like, I remember it was like mile 140, like literally five miles before like the last feed station. And I flatted Ugh. and um, the back tire. And of, and of course it was like, it, it was the sidewall. So I was like, what the hell? Like, you know, I had never, I, I had never really like, I mean, I was running like tubeless. So like I'll see it was like spraying everywhere. Oh, that's, oh, but, what a mess. <laughs> I know. But you know what? I actually like, I remember like this other guy was kind of like, he was there at the side of the road, like before me. And I pulled over next to him and I started like doing the whole thing. I had to like put in, um, I had like a little repair kit. I had to put in like a scratch labs, little like wrapper to like seal the hole. Because oh I, yeah. Like, you must've really, yeah. It must've really blew out a little bit there big. Yeah. yeah and i did all this and i put in a tube and i like pulled up like it was like doing it with my hand pump and i remember like i actually changed all that and while he was still on the side of the road and i'm just like yes like i know what i'm doing <laughs> like, i think that was the first time i actually changed it flat that was that severe um was, was that a uh was that an official scratch labs um um well no they're my sponsor so but they're the ones that got me <laughs> race like um maybe it is I, mean, I know like so other people have used like the goo but like yeah. that's literally but this is what also you, just the truth yeah. what what i use <laughs> but uh yeah no uh, alan lamb i know if you know over him at scratch labs he yeah. he actually gave me a call i was like in the in the gym like in my pt gym rehabbing an ankle break and um like was just able to run outside this is that like this is like april dirty cancer is in like end of may and he calls me, he's like, Hill, I got you into Dirty K. Do you want to, do you want to do the big one? Like, what about, you know, 25 or, you know, the 50? I was like, no, isn't it the 200 mile race? And he's like, okay. It's like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> did, did you find um, being uh, well suited for the long ultra distance running, how fitness wise for the DK, what was that like um, kind of transitioning to the bike? Yeah, you know, I think, I mean, I definitely know how to hurt and I know how to like go to a pain cave and I know how to like, you know, go, like go for long amounts of time. But I will say, um, so my longest, my longest like endurance event before Dirty Kanza 
was like 17 hour, um, like foot race. It was like 110 kilometers with like some insane elevation games. So oh. it, it took me like 17 hours to do. Um, but that was actually in 2016. So that was three years prior to this race, the dirty Kansas. So, I mean, I knew I could go long, but like on a bike, it's different than running. Um, I think I was prepared for it, but the main thing that's different in cycling versus running is like the use of your muscles. Like it's basically the opposite group of muscles. I mean, the opposite way that you use them. Like in running, it's more of a spring motion and cycling. It's more of a, like you have to contract and push and pull. Um, and so that like would fatigue me, um, in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then like, the other thing I would notice on a bike is I wasn't sure when I like was hungry, like uh, running, I could tell if I was about to bonk, but like on a bike, it was so interesting. Like all of a sudden I'd like be feeling great. And then I'd reach the top of this climb and then I'd descend and like, I'd you know go start another one. And I would like, literally it would be like panic mode. I'd be like, Oh my God, I have to eat something now. Like I am, <laughs> I am dying. Um, but I remember, I remember I actually went on like a big 10 hour ride before dirty Kansas just to like literally practice fueling and see and like condition my you know my butt to see if like sure. yeah, yeah. You know, I would fall off after that long on the saddle um and I think it was one of the most like it was one of the most fun training days I've ever had in my life and uh I basically just got to ride my bike and eat all day and then after that, I was like, dirty Kansas is going to be awesome. And I think I covered like 150 miles for that one 10 hour training ride. So I was like, all right, like I can, I can do this. And like, I don't know, for me, it was never about like winning the race. Like I'm sure I'm definitely a competitor and I want to do really well. But for me, cycling was just a way for me to get outside and just to push myself in a new way. I'd never done something this long before. I had no idea if I could do it. Um, and yeah, it was, it was more about just like completing the journey and the process than like trying to go after, you know, like a podium position or something. And, um, I think I ended up finishing like 17th and I finished in 14 hours and change even with a flat. So it wasn't oh, horrible, no. but I'd say so. Jeez. Um, was, uh, was cycling or has cycling been an important part to your uh, recovery in terms of um, uh, after your, after your injury? Yeah. So, I mean, I've had many injuries. Um, uh, so basically the one before dirty Kansas in 2019, um, I had broke my ankle. I literally, I like slipped on the ice and I, Jeez. and I broke my, um, <laughs> my fibula. I had to get surgery, like a plate with four screws. Uh, it was pretty full on. Um, but before that, a year ago, like two years before that, so 2017, um, I was running this pretty technical uh, running race in Norway, and I fell off of a, a ridgeline um, during the race, and I fell 150 feet. Um, yeah, so like off of a ridgeline. So I like would like bounce off the side of the cliff like five times. So like 20 feet at a time, you know, like it was pretty bad. It was, I mean, it was... I almost died, but, um, not to like, you know, I didn't, obviously I'm here, but, um, uh, yeah, I was like told I would never run again, never compete again at a, at an elite level. Um, so yeah, I basically, I had to, I broke 14 bones. I broke my back, like some, um, pretty major bones in my foot, a ligament in my foot. And, um, I was like, 
that was actually one of the first ways I was able to kind of enjoy um, long periods um, outside was through my bike. Mm-hmm. Um, so I basically, as soon as I was like, I learned how to walk again, as soon as I was cleared to kind of, you know, do weight bearing activity, um, I, I got on a bike. I like got this like specialized diverge actually like Alan Lim, he's like one neighbor in Boulder and he went with me to the store and he's like, okay, like try out a bunch of bikes. Like get which one makes you feel good. I was like, okay. Um, and I remember I started like just riding, um, but I was actually, I was too scared to take it, like to take my bike out kind of on any gnarly terrain. Um, so I stuck to kind of like, just like back roads or fronted roads. Um, but I, then I like pretty much got back into running and I started competing again, but it wasn't until I broke my ankle in 2019 that I actually really embraced the bike. Like I was, I would strap a tennis shoe to the pedal, um, went and like basically, and have like my, um, before that, I actually, I had like my boot, like a, like a, basically it's like a boot that where can't wait there I would have that and I'd strap it to the bike and then I'd pedal on the bike and then I progressed to a running shoe and then finally like you know an actual like clipless shoe and like pedal and I would do workouts and it was the way for me to kind of like build my fitness yeah. and um yeah then I fi- then I like was able to kind of go uh yeah like to then I just started like discovering this world of gravel bike riding and I had heard about dirty cancer, like kind of right after my accident and like, Oh, that'd be cool to do someday. But I don't know if I could do it on gravel roads. Cause it seems like super technical and you know, I didn't really want to fall again because of that big traumatic injury. Um, but yeah, like after I just kind of got hooked and it's amazing. And then, and then the, I like now I can't even imagine like a week without me riding my bike. Like, I love cycling and it's like now I can combine cycling and running. Like I, I, it's my favorite thing to like throw in a backpack, put my running shoes in the back and then, you know, maybe change of clothes, go ride my bike to a trailhead and then go run up the mountain and ride my bike home. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> I would say that, uh, not in the those extremes, but I'm a recovering runner. That's how I would consider myself, and I know Sheldon is too. Actually, Sheldon is. I think he's he's going to join us here. Let's let's see what oh, happens please. here. Um, <laughs> but uh, I know I use the bike as kind of a, a way to recover as I was training for marathons and such. And then it's done a total 360, and uh, I stopped running completely, and now I'm just into the bike, Sheldon. <laughs> Okay, I think hey! he's uh, Hello. No, that's awesome. Hey. All, right. All right, finally. All right, so we, we just, uh, Sheldon, we just established that you and I are recovering runners and uh, <laughs> mostly cyclists. Um, to, to fill you in, um, we talked Dirty Kanza, gravel mm-hmm. cycling, uh, bolt cutter, connection. Sheldon's the you one with... You guys covered everything. Not everything. Um <laughs> But, uh, and we also, uh, we saw the mountains. She's looking at mountains. I'm looking at, uh, a, a, a dirty basement. I'm looking <laughs> at backyard. A very, a very overcast <laughs> Michigan. Yeah. Typical, uh, typical Lansing area yeah. overcast. Uh, oh yeah. It was really raining yesterday actually. So I, I lived in Iowa, like Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Don't ask why it was for undergrad. I played tennis. <laughs> 
it was stupid. But um, I lived in Iowa and it was really overcast. And I learned what like ice storms were. It was horrible. I will never go back there. Oh yeah, that sounds <laughs> that sounds like this. <laughs> well, yeah, like when I moved out to, I lived in uh, Fort Collins, and it was just like so shocking sun every day. I was like, what What is this? And then like when you want to be lazy one day and just stay inside and watch TV, you, you just can't. You look outside, you're like, it's nice out. I can't. And then eventually, you're like, I just want a rainy day so I can do nothing. <laughs> well, that's so funny. I'm actually, I'm from Fort Collins, Colorado. Really? Yeah. I lived, I lived at Taft and Elizabeth at, uh, uh, right across from the King Supers. I know exactly where that is. Oh my God. Uh, uh, was it? Buffalo something apartments. I lived, uh, Oh my God. I know where that is. I probably had some friends that lived there because oh, like yeah. it was pretty close to camp to campus. Did you go to CSU? No, I went to front range community. Dude, I used to teach at front range community college. What? <laughs> 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 yeah, I took some marketing classes there before I moved to Maine. But uh, yeah, I lived. Uh, yeah, my apartment building was right behind the KFC there, and we used to get really, we used to get drunk and steal shopping carts from K or from King Supers, and we'd climb up on the roof of that KFC and line it, and then we'd wake up the next morning to the sound of shopping carts getting pushed off the roof of the KFC. Oh what? my god! <laughs> oh my god! This is hilarious. Like such a small world. I lived well. My parents, um, the Harmony, and uh, like basically, like it was it was south. It was South Fort Collins, but um, Harmony and Lemay. Like oh yeah, I used to ride right past there because I'd ride my bike to uh, Front Range. Yeah. Oh my god. Um. But that's so funny. Oh my god. Yeah. Both of my well, I taught. Um. I taught science, so I have a I have a master's in neuroscience and structural biology. Yeah. <laughs> so. Nice. Um, should I just should I go like this? Just pretend these are glasses. Like, <laughs> um, uh, my undergrad was in chemistry, and then um, I'm just like a, such a big science nerd. And then I like discovered ultra running and like basically endurance sports in grad school as a way for um, for like stress relief. And then I found out I was pretty good at it, and I was like, "Well, screw this! I don't want to work in a lab all the time. I want to just like." So then I was like teaching part time, and then uh, running. Yeah, you were originally. Um uh, you were a collegiate athlete though. You played tennis, correct? Yeah. I had a scholarship to play tennis in college. And, and then ironically, that's when I kind of started running more. Like I had this like ridiculous record in college that to, to tennis is best two out of three sets. Um, uh, it's complicated, but like <laughs> basically two out of three sets first to win six game is one six games is one set. Um, and these matches could go on for like hours, but every time it went to a third set, I, I never lost it. So I always just had this, like this endurance. I would like run down every ball. And so the girls are just like, Oh my God, I'm just going to give up. Like <laughs> She won't quit. So I think that's when I learned I had some endurance. <laughs> but so you, you used running as a stress relief and um, kind of an escape, I would guess. But uh, there's a big difference between going out and running a couple miles to ultra endurance, um, running for 17 hours. Like you said, that, that one race, uh, how, do, how do you get from there to there? You know, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I would say by accident. I, I, so, so I'm someone who really likes to work hard. So like something that's difficult or like 
it doesn't, it doesn't really scare me. And what I really like about, I mean, it's something I loved about science. Um, like science, you have a problem, you kind of like, you know, lay out the questions that you have, design an experiment, and you like approach it in a very methodical way. And then you find your answers or you basically find out what doesn't work. And then, you know, you, you try to deduce what might work. Um, but, uh, running is kind of the same way. You can kind of like, if you run every day, you can, see yourself progressing you can see yourself becoming your muscles become more comfortable with the action you can see yourself able to run longer the kind of the more you practice this activity you can go faster you know if you do um intervals and you train your body correctly i really liked that that i could literally see myself progress as an athlete and specifically as a runner and to me it was just fun and so like everyone says like running is uncomfortable and like, I don't know, maybe I experienced that a little bit, but not really. Cause I like, I've always been an athlete to so, like that discomfort and like pain that you feel like in an interval or like, you know, I, it, I knew it would always end. I knew like there had to be the, like the summit of a peak somewhere. So like, you know, like it will end. You just have to, you know, get there. Um, so the more I practiced it, the more comfortable I became. And then like, I just realized I had this knack for it and it was just fun. So like, I just wanted to like push myself further and further and see kind of where I got. And apparently that was, it led to ultra marathon running. <laughs> so, now, which, which was your first uh, event that you did uh, as a competitor in ultra running? Yeah, so uh, 2000 and let's see, 2012 is when I first started like running endurance. Um, 2013 uh, was my first 50k, um, and then I was super busy in grad school. I had to kind of take a break from running, um, and that 50k was like abysmal. Like I think I walked like pretty much all of it, and I <laughs> was just so happy to finish. And I was like, why do people do this? This is weird. Like, it was cool, but like, I don't know if I want to do this again. But, um, then I just noticed like, you could just go like the cooler, the, like the courses were cooler, the longer they were, cause you could see more things. And so I kind of started adventuring on my own and doing a bunch of like my own kind of ultra marathon adventures, like basically running across, um, Zion national park, which is like 53 miles. Like that was like a weekend that I did. That was super fun. But like the next competition I did wasn't until 2014. And that's when I kind of linked together um, a bunch of different races in a year. I did my first 50 mile race and um, I competed in the U.S. sky running series um, and actually won that. And then um, from there is when I kind of signed with the North Face and started competing more primarily in Europe. So Will you um, explain for us what exactly skyrunning is? <laughs> yeah, so um, I have a nickname. Um, it's uh, I'm called Hilly Goat. <laughs> um, so it's a play on words. Um, but basically, I have this knack for uphill running. Like, I love it. Um, and um, basically, one of these first runs that I went on, it was like we picked this super steep run in Boulder. It was like one of the tallest peaks and like this gnarly climb. And uh, I was just like, okay, like just, you know, keep going. And, you know, you can't get lost. You just kind of put your head down and go. And by the time like I reached the top and I turned around, like my friends were like behind me. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I know what I'm doing. Um, so, so from then I just, I wanted, I didn't want to, I wanted to pick these races that would bring me to the top of these peaks. Like, 
climb a lot. And so skyrunning is exactly that. Um, the term comes from, um, it started in Europe, um, because generally speaking, the mountain ranges are a bit lower in elevation. So you can, you start from the sea, like a lot of these races, you can literally hoe into the sea and then you climb to the sky or climb to the tallest mountain range. Um, so that's sky running. So basically, but the thing is, is you usually climb to the top of these peaks by the most direct route possible. So they're steep. They are super gnarly, technical. An average ultra marathon, um, which is a 50K, so 31 miles, um, you would gain about 13,000 to 14,000 feet. And then you have to descend that as well. So yeah, they can, they can get pretty technical. Some of them involve a little bit of scrambling. Um, but it's like the stuff that I just love. You can just go like, you get to see so much country. It's so beautiful. Um, I mean, you just, you literally just get to explore the mountains. Just what year did you, uh, start racing primarily in Europe? So 2015 was my first race in Europe. Um, okay. It was actually in Chamonix. It was the Mont Blanc 80K, which is actually like a 95K. Um, <laughs> so. Does that that out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. Like literally I looked at my watch. I was like, oh, yeah, 80K. All right, cool. Where's the finish line? <laughs> like I'm looking around. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like I still have a long ways to go. Um, but, yeah. So 2015 is when I started racing in Europe. And then from there I kind of entered the World Series. And um, I've been racing primarily in Europe since then. Okay. Are you uh, now living in Europe or do you bounce back and forth or? We established so, it, Sheldon. Thanks. You're late to the game. Yeah. You got all this. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm back, I'm back and forth, but yeah, this is definitely like France is my, my main base just because all of the, like the major races that um, they're usually here. And it's like, there's no better way to train for a steep race yeah. in the Alps than to like be in the Alps. So. <laughs> I, I want to get back to the steep race thing because, um, uh, years ago when I was a runner, I did a, uh, because years ago, it was literally last year. Well, last year I did, I, I did a marathon last year and then I swore it off, but, uh, this is a few years ago. Um, I did this trail race. Um, it was actually in the Dolomites. My brother was, uh, it, it living in Italy at the time. Um, he was in the military, but we did this race together. It was only like 10 so or so miles. It wasn't very long, but it ascended up and then you ran on the Ridge and then you came down. I was going to say, that's like my favorite place on earth. I love the Dolomites. It's they're so amazing. It was, but yeah, it, I it was incredible. It, and yeah, you just like go straight up, yep. traverse, and then go straight back down. <laughs> My legs were trashed, completely <laughs> trashed. And it was only 10 miles. Like, your Garmin said 10 miles. My legs felt like I ran 45. And I think a, a big oh, yeah. part of it was the down uh, descending, not the ascending. How, how in the world do you get used to the descending? I mean, going up is hard enough as it is, but then going down, I mean, I think you are, um, susceptible to injury for sure, but then just, you are trashing your muscles and your legs. I mean, it's all about specificity. It's all about, um, like just the, the frequency, uh, of like how much you practice that. I mean, you know, the feeling of like, you I mean, your legs can feel trash after just a road marathon. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just like literally a matter of practice. It's like the difference between, um, cycling and running. I think actually it's probably more difficult. What you did is, um, being a, like, wait, you were a runner, then a cyclist. What? Yeah. I was kind of, I was kind of both. And yeah. So, I mean, but I think like coming back from like going from being 
cyclists coming to running, I think they have a harder time because of the basically like how hard it is on your muscles. Like cyclists aren't used to used to that. Like, cause it, you really get beat up. Um, and like, for sure. I mean, it's like uphill. It, it's basically just an engine. Like usually cyclists have a, like they're pretty fit. So they can run uphill with, with the best of them, but it's like the downhill pounding motion that you really have to like, I don't know. Um, I've just gotten better at it from practice. Cause like literally I'll run trails like almost every day and so it has some sort of elevation gain. And so like my muscles will get used to that that feeling and that it's really a matter of like the eccentric contractions. Um, yeah. You just have to like get strong. I mean, yeah. <laughs> stop being a wimp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no, no. <laughs> I have found, and, and, and I think you're, you're correct, but I, I, I feel like some people are built for running. Some people are built for cycling. Some people are built for both, but I, I just realized I'm not built for running. It's you, it. <laughs> I am built for maybe, maybe sitting in the basement and talking on the microphone, but, uh, <laughs> um, so, so, uh, you, you told a story about, um, your, your big injury and falling off the, the cliff, like 150 feet. Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, and, uh, so you were at the, at the time you're in Europe, you're competing in Europe, you're competing at the highest level. Um, yeah. so, and then at what point in that, in that time frame did this injury occur then this accident? Yeah. So it happened in August, 2017. Um, so I was literally in like towards the end of my racing season because this re- season was like in the summer cause you're in the mountains. So like you have kind of like a, a window. Um, and I was actually winning the world sky running series, the ultra division, um, going into this race. And I had two more races left on the calendar, this one and one more back in the United States in, in uh, Montana. Um, yeah. And I was literally like in the best shape of my life. And I wasn't even like, there was no pressure for me to win because this was kind of like a bonus race. I just was doing it for fun. And um, yeah, and then that happened. So uh, now you, you explained what happened. Do you have much of a memory of um things happening as it was going on um i do like a little bit i do remember um it's funny because i i i went back to the place where i fell like into that race um this past year actually this past summer uh 2019 um and i remember like visiting the place and like going up it's called like it's just like it's an amazing course like um it's this mountain that's called Humper Rock and Ridge. And it's just like this really aesthetic, like spine that like you can see from the city of Tromso. You can see it just like rising over the horizon. And then this is like pinnacle of a peak. It's just like, just looks gnarly and like, like, but you want to go there. Um, and so I remember ascending this part of the, like onto the ridge and the ridge is like third class. Like you kind of had to pick your line. It's not really scrambly. It's like stuff that I'm really comfortable training on. Um, but the weather in Norway is quite like fickle. So it's, it's in, it's rainy a lot. And so like the days leading up to the race, they had a lot of rain. And so I think that led to kind of just like an instability of the, of the rock. And, um, I remember like going up onto the ridge, seeing people that I knew, like, I remember I was feeling great. I, I was like, you know, gaining positions, like feeling really good. And then like all of a sudden, like the horizon was upside down. I was like tumbling in the air. And, um, like I do remember like time slowing down and I remember my voice kind of just telling me like, okay, like this is it. Like you need to prepare 
for impact, like you're going to die. Like, let's try to stop your momentum. It was like really matter of fact, um, kind of this dialogue in my head. Um, and then that was on repeat every time I hit the ground. Like it was like, if you've ever been like punched in the stomach or like had the wind knocked out of you, like I, I didn't really feel pain when I hit the ground. I, I, it felt like someone was like compressing me, like sitting on my chest. And then, um, obviously could feel that my bones were breaking. Um, I could hear it, but like, I couldn't, um, I could hear it and like feel the sensation. But like at that point, adrenaline was rushing. So I wasn't really feeling the pain. Um, and then at some point I passed out. And then the next thing I remember was like different people around me kind of initiating the rescue operation. Now, were there witnesses to you falling? So they got to you pretty quick or was it, were you in kind of a solo area? So, I mean, it was really lucky because actually one of these runners who had like been kind of passing back and forth throughout the day, um, he was behind me at that point and he saw the whole thing happen okay. as well as the photographers. Cause you're on like an exposed ridgeline. Like you could see me falling off the, the cliff. Um, so the f- various photographers saw me, this guy Manu behind me saw me and he was actually trained in certain like, um, first aid and mountain rescue. So he actually scrambled down to me and was like the first one on the scene. Um, and then from there, like the rescue operation began, they had to fly in a helicopter uh, to get me. But like, I was so lucky because like literally this, like, literally like this, um, this race is notorious for clouds and notorious for like just bad weather. And so this was a year that was actually clear so they could actually get a helicopter to me. Um, other years, it would have been a different situation. Like you, they would have had to like, you know, firemen carry me out of there, which was obviously impossible because I broke my back. But I mean, yeah, it would have been very difficult. So, I mean, overall, it was pretty quick, like maybe two and a half hours from when I was there to when I was in the hospital. So, now we we had talked about um, you then using the bike to kind of help your physical recovery. And I'm sure there were many other... um, things in terms of recovering physically, um, through this injury. But I'm wondering just on, on a bigger scale, uh, just the mental hurdle that you had to go through post injury and, um, from probably wondering whether or not you would walk or compete or run ever again to now, I mean, you're sitting here in France training and still a very high level athlete. Um, yeah. how mentally did you kind of get through this, uh, giant hurdle? Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's not a straightforward question because the, I mean, honestly, bef- before it happened, like I didn't think that if someone would have said to me, okay, like this is going to happen to you and you're going to find a way through it and like, you know, come out the other side, a better person I would have like laughed in their face. You know, like I didn't think, because for me as an athlete, like I associated myself with being strong and independent and like the epitome of being strong is being able to take myself from like to the top of these gnarly mountains, like on my own, you know, leg power and, you know, my own determination. Um, but then after this accident, I was like the complete opposite of that. I, I couldn't even, you know, get dressed without the help of someone. I couldn't even bathe myself because both of my arms were broken. My leg was like, I couldn't bear weight on it. Um, the one ankle that I did have was like badly sprained and I couldn't like, you know, bear weight on it for more than, you know, like 15 minutes. So it was just, it was just the complete opposite of, 
strong of like what my view of strength was, what my, you know, existence was before this point. Um, so there was a lot of, a lot of depression, a lot of, um, questioning why this had happened and a lot of just like, you know, kind of searching for the reasons why, even though, you know, there's like probably, there's not a, really a, an answer to it. Um, a lot of like questions with self-identity. Um, but I mean, I think it was kind of a necessary process because within all of that turmoil and within all of that, um, just like feeling lost, I actually found why I liked to run. Like I, I found it again. I found the reason why I like to push myself. I found the reason why I liked to be outside and, and like, identified it myself as an athlete and that had nothing to do with me winning races it had nothing to do with me being at the top of a podium but it had everything to do with like me you know pushing myself and, and being the best version of myself and um I think without without discovering those like super low moments and having the injury like you know strip me of everything that I associated with strength. <laughs> um, I had to kind of rediscover what strength looked like to me. And um, I think it's, to, to me, it's like the ability to be vulnerable and like look within yourself and really evaluate who you are and why you want to do something. And for me, um, I was able to fight for something that I loved. Um, not for like, again, not for sponsorship, not do not to prove to anyone that I was fast, not to prove to a brand that I could still run, but to like prove to myself that like I could be there for myself and I, and I wanted to run again because I wanted to do it. And it's something that I loved. And I think that like I learned how resilient the human spirit is. And I learned that even though I wouldn't, uh, I, I never, I never think of myself as a courageous or brave person, but like, yeah, I guess I had some of those things because I was able to kind of show up every day and, um, you know, like show up even, even though I didn't want to, even though like this, like the, my, you know, ankles hurt, like my, didn't know if I was going to run again, but I kept on showing up because I believed in myself. And, um, yeah, I think it was like, it's still an ongoing process again. Like, I mean, two years later when I broke my ankle, I kind of experienced these things again. Um, you know, just self-examination. But I think it's a really healthy thing to do. And um, I, I think overall, I know that's like a lot what I said, <laughs> but um, I think overall, the whole, like things that are hard and that are difficult are always worth doing. And I think the reason why I love sport and athletics is because uncomfortable it doesn't always feel good but you're so damn proud of yourself after you do it and you have the sense of accomplishment and you feel like a stronger version of yourself for like facing that adversity and I think that that's the biggest lesson that I learned through injury and through my recoveries and, and what like what what athletics means to me today is that you know, you're stronger than you think you are and if you actually endure a little bit of something that's uncomfortable um, you can learn a lot and you can, you know, come out the other side, a wiser person. And I think that like, that's my, that's like, 
that's why I'm like so grateful that, um, you know, this whole process, like I was able to actually learn something through all of it instead of just like biding my time and like, you know, being angry that, um, I fell off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, that's now, that's, have you, that's had, great. have you had any, uh, lingering injuries or pains from the fall or have you been able to recover from everything pretty much completely? Well, so, I mean, I mean, I'm racing again and like I've, you know, won races and several was like, Oh yeah, she's hundred um, <laughs> percent. But again, it's like, it's learning to trust yourself again. Um, and that's actually really hard. Like the mental aspect of it, that's still ongoing because you know, like my ankles are both really badly twisted from it. So I definitely still have some like aches and pains from that. Um, like they certainly aren't the same. Like I still have to have, I still have to stay on top of PT to like make sure, um, you know, my glutes and hips are okay. Um, and the major, uh, I had a Liz Franck injury in my right foot. So that was a pretty major, um, like it basically is, it's the Liz Franck is a series of ligaments that make up the integrity of the arch of your foot. Um, so pretty important. Um, and I had surgery. I still have part of a screw in my foot, but on humid days, like I feel like an old lady, but I'm just like, I can feel a storm coming, but like <laughs> I can't. Like, on like days where it's, um, where it's a little bit like more humid or um, like just different weather storms coming in, like my, my foot feels definitely sore. Um, and depends on like the shoes I wear, if I'm like training a bunch, like I can, yeah. So it's, you know, but that's also why I'm so grateful that I have my bike because it's like a really cool way to get outside for hours and hours. And it's like really, really nice on the body. <laughs> it is interesting how many cyclists you'll talk to that got into cycling a lot from, of from, runner, from being runners. <laughs> and they're like, uh, cause I had a, I had a lateral meniscus injury and I had Osgood Schlatter growing up and I just do not have great knees. And I went from running to triathlons and then I was like, Oh, I kind of like this biking thing. It doesn't hurt <laughs> yeah. my body much. That's yeah. what got me into it, cycling. Yeah. And I mean, that's what Trevor said too. It's like, I mean, you can, um, some people are meant for cycling. Some people are meant for running. Some are meant for both, but absolutely. Because like for some people it's, it's just it's like pretty jarring like they don't ever get past that feeling of like they don't get to the runner's high because they're just like this is awful <laughs> and I totally sympathize but um I, I one thing I would say is try trail running and um <laughs> you might change your mind because uh in trail running if it gets super steep you just get, you get to walk so it's fine um <laughs> but uh no yeah I totally I totally agree sometimes sometimes uh there's certain days where I'm like why do I love running so much like Ugh, my body doesn't feel good right now. <laughs> Did you have to change the style of shoes that you ran in after your injury? Because you mentioned that you injured, you know, the ligaments that hold the arc of your foot together. Did you have to change what kind of shoes you run in? Um, well, I had to be like just more careful. Um, so I would definitely tell like I. So some people can put a bunch of miles on their shoes before having to change them out. I would notice that like once my shoes started to get kind of crushed out, I had to change them or else my feet would get sore. Um, and I, the shoes, yes, but I had to kind of more change the lacing system because there's some like weird scarring on some of my, like the medial side of my, of my foot. Um, so yes. <laughs> um, so you, I mean, you definitely went through a very traumatic event and you, came through it and now you're on the other side of it and just like you did so well you you can kind of communicate how uh, it's helped you overcome it's helped you uh, become 
a, not only a stronger athlete, but a stronger person. Um, you know, the whole world is kind of going through a traumatic event right now. And, yeah. and I can't help but like draw some parallels between your story that you're telling us and um, where we are. And I, you know, in, in terms of your story, we, we may be falling down the cliff right now or we're going to the hospital right now. We're, um, but we're going to have to, as a society, kind of build our way back up. And I don't, I don't know how yeah. – if, if you've thought of that or if you have any, any words of wisdom for us as – what do you think we all need to do to, to kind of help each other get through this just as you have gotten through your own individual thing? That's a really great question. It's actually um, this period, like the pandemic in general. I mean, over in France, like, you know, it's a little bit more strict um, as far as the confinement goes. Um, but it feels weirdly reminiscent of a period of injury. Like this time last year, I was recovering from my ankle break. And I feel similarly to that period when I was injured. And I'm not injured now. I can, I can still go out and run. However, you know, these different rules, like you can't go out, you just feel like constricted. You can't like go out with friends and like, and, um, you know, running is hugely social for me, bike riding too. And, um, and like, it feels like you're just like constrained. And that's how I felt when I was injured. I felt like there's all these things I couldn't do. And it just seemed endless. And like, we don't, we, I didn't know when it would end. Like, I didn't know the answers to like, could I race this? Like, that's like my living nightmare. It's like, I really like the plan. And then like when someone's just like, Meh, you know, we'll see. I'm like, ah, I don't like this. <laughs> I want to know. Um, but it's definitely another lesson. I mean, like I should have this recovery thing and like, you know, be like the Zen master. Right. But I am, I am not, I'm still like, I'm not perfect at it. I still have to like have adjustments. Um, but the one thing that I did in my recovery and the one thing that I'm doing here um, is that I'm, I'm taking it one day at a time. Like I'm still, I'm still training because I want to be adventure ready. I'm, I still want to like have a routine and like do things that make me feel good and, and make me the best version of myself. For me, that involves, you know, um, you know, doing something out some sort of physical activity and, you know, like, you know, cooking or, you know, spending time with friends, even if it's right now virtually. Um, but the one thing that I did um, and this is this mantra that I did, like, do what you can today. Um, and it's like, you're, you're kind of like laying the bricks for tomorrow. I always think about like, I would picture like building a house and I don't know why I would like think of bricks. Cause this childhood house that I had, it was like this ranch style house and it had like this brick outer lay. And it's like every day that I could like do something positive for my recovery, like these P this PT stuff, even when I couldn't walk, I was like, what the hell? Like, what, what should I do? Well, I had this PT routine and I like, I can do that. And so I thought about it. It was like, okay, like I can do this today. And that like represents one brick and I can like put it down and lay it in the foundation of this house that I'm building. I don't know what the house is going to look like, but like each brick that I lay is progress. And so like, that that is what that is how I, I figured it out it's like even if someday isn't perfect even if I feel like out of control and you know like upset one day like there might be a little crack in the brick or like it's like chipped but like you put it in the foundation and then you build the other bricks around it and it becomes strong and eventually that leads to a house 
And like, that's, that's what I think about confinement is <laughs> like, you're all this period, it will end. Maybe we don't know when, but like every day that we can do something like positive um, for ourselves, for, you know, one another, like the greater community, like the health of our community, um, that's progress. And it will add up to this like awesome house that we get to like, you know, live in and celebrate and have huge parties in once everyone can like get together. So <laughs> Wait, I, mean, I thought the whole point was getting out of the house though. <laughs> well, yeah, no, the whole thing is getting out of the house into someone else's house. Okay, okay, okay. Other people. <laughs> are, are you seeing a are you seeing a big difference in your friends on social media in the US versus your friends on social media in France? Are you seeing a big difference in the way that the societies are handling the quarantine? Yeah, and it's actually it can be a point of contention. Like sometimes it drives me crazy <laughs> because um, I mean, definitely here in Europe, and I mean, I think like places like New York have maybe seen it as a better example because it's like such a dense population of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, obviously in France and in Europe, and so it's like you know, to strictly enforce some sort of, um, you know, confinement or social distancing. That's where the whole confinement and like, the rules have taken place. Um, you know, they've had to kind of have stricter regulations. And I mean, the French are like the Americans. They don't really like to follow rules. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like the government has kind of had to like crack down just to, you know, to make sure that people are kind of like, they understand why, you know, why we're doing this, why we only, we don't want you like, you know, around, around big groups of people, you need to have like a special paper to go out of your house, um, like to go to the grocery store or, you know, you can only run a certain distance from your house. Like that to me is mainly for like people living in a dense city, like Mm -hmm. where you don't want to, you can't just have it be a free for all and like everyone, you know, running together. Um, and like limitations on your travel, just you you don't like, for instance, like in, in Paris, it's an epicenter of the virus and you don't want people like leaving Paris and like fleeing to other parts of the country and then like spreading it, right? That's like something that could happen in, in the United States. But I mean, it's, it's different in each place. And I know like, and also the complicated thing is like the United States is so huge. So it's not like you can have the same rules for like a rural area in Montana or Colorado and like a big city like New York or Chicago. Here where I am, the nearest hospital is a, an hour drive away, like a serious hospital. So if yeah. like something happened, like COVID related, you know, like it's pretty, like if this this village where I, like I'm 10 kilometers away from this, this city of like 3000 people, but if like there was an outbreak here, it would be a big problem. Yeah. And so that's also the issue in the United States. Like if people are just like, moving around freely, like spreading the virus and like through these rural areas, which are secluded. Yes. But then they don't have the proper facilities. It can, yeah, it can cause problems. And that's also with the whole issue of obviously we're, you know, athletes, but like the whole thing is like, I'm not, I mean, I, I, I should, I should cover the the mountains, but like I'm not really going up in them because, you know, like doing these epic runs because like if something were to happen, there's, you know, like, there's really no medical resources for me. I'm like, I'm being smart. Like I can maybe be a little bit more flexible with like my, the one kilometer radius that I'm allowed to run. Like I can do an out and back on the frontage road here where I don't see anyone. Um, but again, it's a frontage road. It's like not like a single track mountain trail, like, you know, hundred K away where if like, you know, I, something happens, I'll need to call search and rescue. Like that's not happening at the moment. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and you know, you don't want to risk those injuries because then you're utilizing the resources in the hospital that yep. 
potentially could be used towards somebody that might contract the virus. Yeah. And my sister is also a, a nurse, so I try to keep that in mind. So I can you know, like make her work day a little easier. <laughs> She's watching you. She's like, don't do anything stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Hillary, we appreciate your time and I'm so glad we got to talk. Before we go, um, can you tell us a little bit about your book that you've been writing? And I know it's um it was supposed to be released soon, but I think it I did I say that it was pushed back a little bit? Yeah, but um so I did write it. Um so like when we were talking about like the mental recovery, like writing for me has always been super cathartic. Um and I saw it kind of as an opportunity not to really not to really say so I, I wrote this book, it's called Out and Back. Um, it's going to be published. We pushed it back to April, 2021. Um, so hopefully, you know, we can like gather and, and, you know, do group runs and, um, you know, book tours and gather together and celebrate. Um, but the whole premise of the book is, is yeah, it's about, you know, kind of my story of recovery. Um, but it's not really like a how to guide to recovery. It's more of like, okay, like what I said before, um, that you possess more like strength than you think you have. And that, you know, if you are able to endure a little bit of um, something that's uncomfortable, you can, you know, you can achieve like anything. It's just, it's just a testament to the resilience of the human spirit. And of course I use my example and my experience um, through my, you know, my injury and my recovery. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the premise. And I think it's really great for, Maybe, you know, an athlete who's, who is struggling with an injury recovery or someone who's just dealing with like a hard time in life. I mean, it would be really awesome if it was out now so people could read it during the COVID <laughs> yeah, pandemic. I was just going to say, like right now is the perfect time. Yeah, for no it. kidding. But, um, but, I mean, still, I mean, the, the, the COVID pandemic, at least the, you know, it's going to be around for, for, for a while. So I think we're going to be constantly adjusting and adjusting, um, you know, our, our new kind of reality, um, for the months, you know, the months and years to come. So, um, I think it won't be, it it still will be relevant in April when, (laughs) when it comes out. So in April, it's going to be published. Uh, are we going to be able to find it online? Uh, where's the place to purchase? (laughs) Yeah. So actually I have a, I have a, I have a website, um, hillaryallen.com and there's a link to the book there. Um, you can actually pre-order it through Amazon at the moment. Um, so yeah, there's various ways, but, uh, it will be actually in circulation in a physical copy of the book in April. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, I think that's going to be plenty of time. Cause I think we're going to be recovering from this for, like you said, quite a while. I know, but there's hope. There's hope at the end of the tunnel. There's yep, that's, that's that's what I want to say. There is hope. <laughs> I'm an example of that, and it might be hard right now, but it's okay. Like hard is good, and it will lead to something better. Like to learn something new about yourself after this. The, the helicopter's coming to get us off the side of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eventually. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hillary. This is this is a great conversation. And all right, I missed the first half. Now I have to wait for Trevor to get it all up, uh, process so I can hear what I meant. Oh, yeah, thank you guys so much. And um, yeah, it was such a pleasure. Hope to meet you in person someday soon. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com. 
And don't forget to have your chance to win a trainer block from our partners at KOM Cycling by calling our hotline at 616-522-2641. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by Trevor Gibney. Sheldon Little handles the social media, graphic design, and of course, bad decisions. Thank you to Hillary Allen for taking the time to talk with us from all the way over in France. And thank you all for listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast. And as always, keep your chain clean. But get your trail shoes dirty. We'll see you in the mid-pack.